Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast with the listeners in more than 100 countries. My name is Hana Lee. I am president and founder of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning global PR agency specialized in hospitality and travel. And I'm Michael Ann Stendig, editor-in-chief of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning co-author of The Japanese Hour of the Cocktail, and a food and beverage writer. Helping the community has always been part of our agency's mission. We understand that a lot of business owners, bartenders, chefs, sommeliers, and others might not have the resources to hire a PR agency. So we created our podcast so that our listeners can get to know leading reporters and writers and start building relationships. Each week, our media guests from around the globe share their practical advice on how hospitality and travel professionals can be spotlighted in their stories. In fact, one of our loyal listeners got featured in the New York Times after listening to our podcast and following our media guests' tips. So, you could be next. Also, please send your favorite pitching tips from the episode to hello at hanaleecommunications.com for a chance to win a copy of our agency's book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail. And now, moving on to the show. In this episode, we're excited to chat with Hannah McLean, National Food Editor of Daily Hive, one of Canada's leading online publications. In this role, Hannah leads a team of food-focused writers and a network of contributors who cover hospitality news and the latest trends in food and drink across the country. A journalist with nearly 10 years of experience and a Vancouver resident, Hannah is a leading voice in the Canadian culinary scene. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the show. So great to see you. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. I'm so happy to be here. We are so delighted to interview you today and so honored to have you as our first Canadian journalist on the show. So welcome aboard. Thank you so much. I feel so honored to be the first Canadian media member here. So Hannah, you've been in journalism for nearly a decade. How'd you find your passion in writing and break into the field? It's really interesting. I was never sort of a math or science person. And I think a lot of times those kids when you're leaving university, especially when I was leaving high school, you feel like you had to find your purpose quite quickly. But one thing that I always enjoyed was socializing, talking, hearing people's stories. And I sort of slowly realized that that could actually translate into a passion for journalism and telling stories in that way. So I went to school at a great school in Halifax, Nova Scotia, the University of King's College, uh, where I got a journalism degree, an honors degree. And it was really cool to work alongside uh, aspiring young journalists be taught by some really wonderful, accomplished Canadian journalists and sort of dip our toes in uh, telling stories and, and all the ways you can go about that. So I sort of rolled into the program in university thinking this, this could be a good fit. And it turns out that it was. Tell us about Daily Hive and what makes it so unique among top Canadian media. Absolutely. Uh, so Daily Hive is a Canadian-founded publication. It was founded here in Vancouver, where I'm based as well, um, by two people who didn't really have a journalism background, but they wanted to tell the stories about what was happening in Vancouver, 
uh, where to eat, what events to go to. And there wasn't really a, a place doing that in a way that sort of the larger ge- demographic could access at the time, especially younger people. Um, we have fantastic legacy m- publications that have been around forever. Um, but m- the founders of Daily Hive kind of wanted to tell these stories in a different voice and use a lot of social media that was huge at the time. So uh, everything started in 2008. And now we have operations in five Canadian cities and a couple in the States as well, in Portland and Seattle. And we are covering a wide variety of topics from food and beverage to uh, real estate and urban development, breaking news, sports. We really do a little bit of everything. You mentioned that uh, you're the national food editor. So what exactly does that entail and what do you tend to cover the most? So Dished is the vertical or the channel, whatever you want to call it, that does all our food and beverage news. It has all of the details there. So those are the sections that I curate with my team of food-focused writers and a great network of foodies writing for us and creating for us across the country. Um, So Dished is sort of your place to go in Canada for food news. Uh, We do a lot of openings, a lot of closings. We really keep people up to date, um, food events, trends. And then from time to time, we'll do some travel food writing as well. Because, I mean, culinary tourism is so huge, especially now that we're sort of getting back to pre-pandemic levels of travel, hopefully. So we do a lot of that, too. We go through down to the States and internationally on trips, and we'll tell Canadians how to access great food and drink that way, too. Given that Daily Hive covers, as you mentioned, Canada from coast to coast with a multiple local editions, what types of stories make it to the national level? So it's interesting. My role as the national editor is sort of to take a step back and check out these overarching themes, see what's going on in the Canadian food world. Um, Something like Michelin, for instance, or coming to Canada for the first time, a first for lists. Um, Right now we're seeing really interesting concepts pop up that have no tipping policies. Uh, Restaurant owners are aiming to pay living wages, salaries to their uh, restaurant staff and taking the onus of tipping off of the consumer. So that's been an incredibly interesting thing to watch crop up. Uh, Stories like that catch our attention, and they're interesting to every Canadian, no matter where you're located. Um, But what I love about Daily Hive, I've been with the company nearly seven years, is we always have a really strong central pillar of community. And, you know, boots on the ground, going out, talking to people, taking pictures. Um, We do a lot of writing from our laptop, but I always like to tell my writers, shut your laptop and like go explore for an afternoon. It's sort of forging old and new because you have to be out seeing things, taking pictures, videos. Uh, In the world of social media, you can scroll and find five story ideas in 10 seconds. So it is sort of like the constant hamster wheel of content. We've got to keep up too. I think that's powerful because you have no choice. You have to do more of social media and connecting with the world digitally. Yeah, it really does come in handy when something like a fire or a flood can devastate a restaurant and maybe they have a GoFundMe crop up, we can post that link and help with the funding. This is sort of where the digital aspect of it, the quick news, the social media following really does come in handy. And those are definitely my favorite ways to use our following is to support our community 
during the bad and the good. So for, for a big news story like that, what's what's your typical turnaround? How quickly can you all get it online? We can put it together quite quickly. If everything is sourced, accurate, and fact-checked, for instance, it's coming from a source directly, um, we can whip a story up in anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes, have it line edited, and post it on social media. Uh, we work quite quickly. So you mentioned uh, that you all have additions for Seattle and Portland. And are there plans for any other U.S. cities? Not at the moment. Our team has really grown. We've been quite lucky, actually. Um, I've seen whole new chapters for our editorial team pop up. We now have a trending team that tackle trending topics. Some of that is food related. Some of it's just general. But no plans to go down into anywhere in the States just yet that I know. But if you ever planning in the future, maybe Daily Hive New York one day? Oh, my gosh. I I volunteer. I will do the eating and exploring. <laughs> I know if somebody has to do it, I'll go. We know a few places. Yeah, we can definitely be your tour guides. I was going <laughs> to say, I'm going to have to hire you guys to, to give me the lay of the land when that happens. Oh, yes. We'll be ready. We'll be ready. <laughs> so we know a lot of foodies and drinks enthusiasts travel to Canada. So can you share some exciting trends that they should check out? It's very interesting. We have such a special global food scene here. We have so many different ethnicities and wonderful cuisines. There's so many restaurants, especially here in Vancouver, where you walk in and you might not speak the language that the menu is, is written in, but you, you kind of get comfortable. You go in a couple times, you go in with someone that knows and you discover such an amazing mom and pop or great gem. I think Canada is absolutely full of opportunities like that. In the summer months, we have incredible festivals, something like the Richmond Night Market here in BC, where there's just stalls and stalls of global cuisine, um, things being fried and frozen, lighting up, and it's very exciting. So we've got a lot of amazing culinary tourism in that respect. And then on top of that, some of these fantastic lists and nods that our restaurants are getting, I think are really putting uh, cities like Vancouver and Toronto, um, Montreal as well, on the global food scene as a place you need to visit. Um, Time Magazine recently named Vancouver as one of the 50 best places. And our eclectic cuisine was what actually made us stand out. And I couldn't agree more. So it's kind of exciting to see uh, these legacy big time publications giving the city's culinary scene a shout out. Speaking of foodies, we see that the Michelin Guide has made its way to Canada. So how do you think it has changed the restaurant industry? And also, how will it continue to make an impact? I would like to say I was playing in the field, but really the people playing in the field were the chefs in the restaurants. I was more on the sidelines, but oh my gosh, it was uh, electrifying energy here in Vancouver and in Toronto. I worked with our writer there to cover everything going down, the first ceremony and the announcement. You don't know what to expect. I, I kind of called it Chris, Foodie Christmas. Uh, I couldn't sleep the night before. And because for years, people ask us, especially those of us who are food media, why? Why not Canada? And we're saying, you know, there's definitely a place for it when the time comes. And, you know, the stars align. Destination Vancouver and Michelin work together. Uh, same with Toronto. and. This year, they launched the first guides. I think 
it was a really exciting flurry of energy during the announcement. And when the guide was revealed, a lot of, you know, weighing in, people love to have their opinions. That's also why I love food so much is everyone's entitled and everyone's got one. So there's really no, never a lull in a, the conversation. There's also a certain amount of pressure that comes with it, as we all know, uh, for the chefs, and the operators. And it's the only award I think that you can lose, you know? So as much as we are so excited this year, I always say, I'm interested to see how this plays out the second year and the third year and, and the journeys at these restaurants and, and the tone at which maybe people talk about it or their, their minds change. But I think it's really cool and interesting. And it was certainly one of my highlights of my career so far is uh, navigating coverage with such a huge thing for the scene. So speaking of international organizations, as you well know, 50 Best launched its first ever North America's 50 Best Bars last year. And eight Canadian bars made it to the list, including yes. Toronto's Civil Liberties coming in at number 10 on the continent and earning Best Bar in Canada. Yeah. So how has this um, global recognition energized the national bar scene in Canada? Oh, it's been really exciting. It was so exciting to see some of the names on that list. Uh, bar Raval, Civil Liberties, Bar Kismet in Halifax. Uh, I went to school there, as I mentioned. It's so exciting to see something on the East Coast getting such a great nod. Um, the Kiefer Bar here in Vancouver, one of my favorites. Uh, it's really special. We have an incredible cocktail scene and we have some really talented mixologists and they are doing so many cool things with sustainability and trying different things with ingredients, you know, bringing in really hard to find spirits and creating experiences, not just dropping a margarita in front of you. The whole thing from start to finish is just like an immersive, wonderful thing. And on top of that, so many places are emphasizing their spirit-free offerings. So there's no reason that anybody can't come in and try something, experience the room and the service, and have a really memorable time. And exciting news. Uh, this year, the awards ceremony is going to be held in San Miguel de Allende in Mexico on May 4th. And of course, our fingers are crossed for Canadian bars as well. So have you been there before? I haven't. I actually just went to Mexico City for the very first time last fall. And I realized super quickly that I need to go to all the different parts of Mexico. I absolutely loved it. And there's so much eating and drinking to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were in Mexico City about a month ago. And we, yeah, we did a bar, like a bar hopping for several days in Mexico City. And then we went to San Miguel and check out maybe like half a dozen bars. And it's fascinating. The creativity, the hospitality in both cities are just top notch. And obviously, in the evening of May 4th, I'll be emailing you with some exciting news of the 1 to 50 best bars from the North America. So stay tuned. I'm so excited and our readers absolutely love it too when it's coming from a really great, recognizable, trusted source. Those lists are super powerful and exciting. So I look forward to seeing this year's winners. Why don't we focus on the culinary side? So how do you think bar food culture has evolved in Canada in recent years? That's a really good question. I think that people are seeing bars like you say, more as a destination to eat and drink versus just a place to sit down and grab a libation. Um, we're seeing a lot of creative stuff happen behind the bar. I don't know if it's because it's 
more unexpected and people have more room to play when they're sort of in these smaller, more intimate rooms. Um, we're also seeing sort of uh, veering off a traditional wine pairing with a chef's tasting menu. I think a lot of times now we're seeing tea pairings or cocktail pairings even. Um, so that's kind of opening up the doors and opening people's minds to, you know, I can have this and pair with this cocktail and, and really enjoy that together as well and explore. Um, on top of that, eating and drinking here in Vancouver, just, I mean, everywhere it goes hand in hand, but we've got our breweries here with food trucks outside. Those can rotate. You can have your flight of beer with your chicken or, you know, empanadas or whatever is going on out front. So it's really fun to mix and match like that. Now, let's get more practical. What kind of stories will you be working on in the coming months? Something I actually have been looking into a lot lately because I've been hearing from from operators I've known, talking to operators that maybe we haven't been in touch before because I've seen this theme pop up, is the idea of reviewing online and review bombing and what that can do to a restaurant, um, whether something happened, a disgruntled patron, um, and they take maybe to the internet with a group of friends and, you know, a business can really go go down the tube tech-wise if a bunch of people give one-star reviews. So me and my team have been talking to these restaurants, doing the stories on an individual basis when we feel that it's warranted. And I'm now going to be looking at the broader the broader theme of that and, and this whole new world with so much communication, internet, TikTok, Instagram, someone can have a bad experience and hop on and share it with tens, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, I want to look at more of the implications of what to do as a restaurant owner and kind of what you do in that in that situation. I have to say, you know, restaurant owners and restaurant workers, they work so hard and they deserve love and care from customers. You know? They deserve a fair hearing and, and the ability to correct something if some, somehow they fell short. Absolutely. A lot of this is uncharted territory, right? It comes with just the world progressing and we have a lot of voices out there. And it's just about finding the right ones, I suppose, to listen to. And finding an ethical code for the online world, which yeah. we're still fumbling around in the dark for. Absolutely. I know. And it can be quite overwhelming. Um, but I think highlighting things like this and sort of showing the other side, I think most people are the consumers, they're patrons. Um, but from someone who owns a restaurant or is working in a restaurant, what does that feel like? you know, to go home after that, something like that happened. I, I think it's important to emphasize that because like you say, they do work so hard and they're such an important part of our community. So what's your take on the, the phenomenon of tip creep? What, what do you make of it? Yeah, this has been a very hot topic in Canada. We had an Angus Reid study come out recently uh, and it was a survey talking about how Canadians feel about this topic, uh, creepflation, tipflation, whatever you call it. Um, and I think it spurs a lot from during the pandemic, we sort of did away with physical cash. We did a lot of things on tablets. And I think a lot of restaurants opted to go to the tablet form when it comes to their POS system, turn it around and auto-populate some gratuity percentages that potentially wouldn't have even occurred to the consumer if they were buying a coffee and a granola bar, a croissant, you know, People start to ask these questions. Why do I feel like tipping 18% uh, 
on this ten dollar purchase at a cafe uh why is this is this normal is this the new normal and there's no real answer there's no right answer it's just a discussion that has generated a lot of commentary from experts and consumers because we've all got a stake in the game right especially with inflation uh the price of food in grocery stores really has put pressure on diners to be more choosy about where they're spending their money when they're dining out so it's brought up a lot of conversation in that sense from both sides. We enjoyed reading your story on where to find cherry blossom treats in Vancouver. How far in advance do you work on this type of seasonal stories? I like to call those uh, cherry blossom treats, you know, your Easter treats, your Thanksgiving treats. I like to call those sort of like our foundational stories, our roundups. A lot of times, um, those are gathering things that are alike in theme and timing and sharing them with readers. And we're supporting our local businesses, our local bakeries and things like that. Um, I work with all of the restaurants and bakeries and PR agencies to get those together quite quickly. Um, we do have the benefit of being able to, to have a pretty quick turnaround since we are digital, but people are thinking ahead more than ever. We are seeing things come earlier and earlier. I always say it's like the the Starbucks pumpkin spice latte announcement. It's now in mid-August. So we, we try and uh, stay on our toes and do it as early as possible. That way people can pre-order as well. A lot of times these bakeries have an allotted amount. So you want to help out the business too. For the cherry blossoms, usually would be a couple of weeks. And cherry blossoms are something very close to our hearts. Yeah. Our book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, which I co-authored with Masahiro Urashido of Katana Kitten, has recipes with cherry blossoms, of course. And it's delicious. And we'd be happy to send you a copy of the book. So you can try the recipe. <laughs> I would love that. That sounds amazing. For our listeners who want to pitch their stories to you, what are the most important things for them to keep it in mind? The main thing for any story that's being pitched is, do you find it interesting and would your friends find it interesting? Um, it need, Everything is framed in like a super approachable way. At Daily Hive, a lot of times we want you to feel like you're talking to a friend. I want you to feel like, you know, I'm filling you in on something in a, in a casual way that you can sort of take that and spread the good word. So thinking about, you know, is this relevant to me? Is it relevant to my friends? Then it's probably relevant to a lot of other people. Um, and the other thing is more than ever, as we talk about sort of the wild west of digital media and everyone's got a voice and they're doing it all, is is it a unique, an original idea? Um, is it something that will stand out from the pack compared to the other stories on the site and other publications in the area writing similar things. So just always looking for those really unique stories. And I feel like in food, there's a lot of them. I think there's a lot of awesome characters that are behind the bars or on the line uh, in the butcher shops, maybe that we haven't talked to that we don't know about, but maybe they've got the coolest story. So those are the types of things that we're looking for. Just like really compelling, great things. How about social media? Do you welcome people to DM you with your story or do you prefer them to only come to you via email? Oh, absolutely. I am very active on Instagram and I use it a lot for my own reporting or for sharing things with other people. 
Um, same with TikTok. I think that that is a growing place where story ideas are happening. What a way to show restaurants and cooking techniques and things like that. It, it's given everybody sort of this platform to share. You're also seeing this whole new generation of they're sort of reviewing and critiquing restaurants and they're just people that love food and they're taking off, going viral, and they're making businesses uh, super successful, selling them out, bringing so much brand awareness to them and becoming advocates for the community. So it's great. I welcome more cooks in the kitchen. The end goal is to, you know, support these these businesses, especially local ones, family-owned ones. Couldn't agree more. So we call our podcast Hospitality Forward, as you know. And in your opinion, what organization or person is really moving the hospitality industry forward? You know, I don't know if I could say an organization or a person off the top of my head, but I will sort of foray this into, I think that the world of social media and influencing is really changing things. I think that it's forcing people to be creative, stay on their toes, um, and the power of information sharing is really cool to watch when it comes to finding new spots and going to these sort of like undercover hidden gems. So I think maybe it's not a person, but I do think that social media is really influencing the hospitality world. I think it's changing things and I think it can be used for a lot of good. So that is, that's what's coming to my brain right now is just that age of technology and how much it is changing things. Um, and giving people access to things that maybe they wouldn't have been able to uh, if they didn't have these these apps. And I, I would also say that it's really democratized and leveled the playing field by really enabling everybody to have a point of view and have it expressed and have it heard. And that's very exciting. And, you know, on some level, it's also a little unsettling uh, for the, the powers that be, you know, who are probably not used to that amount of, of feedback at that level. But I think, as you say, I think it's going to spur people to be more creative and better operators. You know, myself as a, you know, PR professional, I always look at Instagram and TikTok to see what do I need to do more and better? What am I missing? What can I do outside of box and then be better marketer, be better storyteller. So social media is my inspiration. So I'm with you hundred percent. Absolutely. And so many people go to these platforms to choose where they're going to eat or to create their travel plans. They'll go and based on the photography and what they see, um, they can make the knee jerk decision to add it to the list or not to. And absolutely to echo it, it can be a little scary when you think about it like that, but it can also be really exciting. And I definitely think it's sort of moving us into a new era of information sharing around food and beverage. Well, we've been talking a lot about drinks. So question for you, what is your go-to drink? And um, who is the one person you want to enjoy it with and why? Oh my gosh. Um, I have been loving espresso martinis of late. And I have been trying them a few times with 
as a tequila base versus the vodka base because I'm seeing that come up more and more on menus and I'm having more bartenders and mixologists recommend that to me. So it's been interesting to play with it. Also tell people when I'm drinking and then go, um, <laughs> it's always a little fun. And the person I would have it with, oh my gosh. I mean, if we had to say living or dead, who could not say Anthony Bourdain? I feel like that is just a no brainer. I've been rereading Kitchen Confidential and, you know, sometimes I'll put on episode of No Reservations just on podcast form and listen to him describe the food and, and talk about it. And it just makes you want to uh, do the same for readers when we do our content, um, make it, make the whole food and beverage scene sound magical and inviting. So that's a, it's a simple, easy answer, but that is probably my answer would be him. Yeah. Mm, yeah. He was one in a million, truly. Um, in coming months, if you have to choose one country to travel, where would that be and why? Oh my gosh. I've been wanting to go to Japan for a while. Speaking of cherry blossoms, I'm seeing a lot of I'm seeing a lot of videos on social media of how packed the streets are because of cherry blossom season. So maybe not during cherry blossom season, but I would really love to go. I think um, there's so much I need to discover there and the culinary scene is on a different level. No question. I would love to go very soon. It's, yeah. it's one of our favorite destinations. Mm -hmm. And from, you know, cocktail bars to restaurants, I mean, you know, little tiny ramen place in middle of like, Tokyo. I mean, it's just fascinating city and the country. And and hospitality is is just exemplary everywhere you go. It's it just seems like innate into the DNA. Yeah. So when you are ready to go, let us know. I think we got some place to recommend and people to meet as well. Absolutely. You will be my first message. And before we wrap up, when our listeners are ready to pitch you with their story ideas, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, uh, go to dailyhive.com. You can go down to our masthead and you can find uh, me on our editorial list, Hannah at dailyhive.com. And otherwise, you can find me on Instagram, uh, which is my name, Hannah McLean underscore. And you can send me a DM that way. Um, but I'm always all ears. I'm all, always open for tips and pitches. And I just love connecting with writers, new writers too. So that's how they can reach me. Well, Hannah, thank you so much. And again, you're the first um, Canadian journalist on our show. And not the last. Not the last. Um, but I, we are so honored to have you on, on our show. And um, we really do hope we can see you in New York City so that we can take you to the best espresso martini bars, but also hopefully in Vancouver soon. Absolutely. Yes. Let me know as soon as you guys know you're coming. Thanks so much for having me. That was a really lovely conversation. Now that you know what Hannah is looking for, please feel free to reach out to her and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard her on our Hospitality Forward podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Also, for all media guests to date, you can find their information and episodes in our agency's website, www.hannaleecommunications.com. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.